You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right. Good morning. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're continuing our series uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we had Application Sunday. And uh, as you're turning in your Bibles, want to see how well we remember what our application was from last week. I'd given you two things to to strive to do or to work on this week. Can anybody give me one of those things that we were tasked to do? Yeah, so we talked about doing something for somebody in your life that doesn't deserve it, um, and then doing it in such a way where you won't get the glory for it. Um, So hopefully you were able to find a way to strive to do that. If you didn't, let me encourage you to use this upcoming week uh, for that purpose. Um, The second thing that I challenged you to do was to really carve out Uh, intentional time to not only prepare, but to attend uh, D group and C group in the coming weeks. Um, And I'll brag a little bit on our D group. I was super encouraged because we had everybody there for the first time in a long time. Everybody's schedules were worked out in such a way where our whole group could be there. And I was really encouraged by the ways that that our group came and and were prepared to talk and to contribute to that discussion. Um, And so I left uh, really encouraged um, by what I was able to experience and uh, just want to encourage you uh, again over the next couple of weeks to, to be prepared for your D group, for your C group, to, to make time to be there and to come and to contribute as we encourage one another and spur one another up to good works. We come to Matthew chapter 7 today. I want to read for you our text this morning. It's a super familiar passage, uh, not only to believers, but to non-believers, and we'll talk a little bit about that this morning. It says in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Again, this is one of the more popular, well-known, and quoted verses, both by Christians and non-Christians, right? Remember I told you that one of the reasons that we're studying the Sermon on the Mount is because this is a passage of Scripture, a sermon that even non-believers are very familiar with. It's not uncommon to hear non-believers quote from this passage, sometimes to criticize Christians, sometimes to even just use it as, as life principles that maybe we should all be living by. And this is certainly one of those cases where oftentimes non-Christians will use this to attack believers. Um, people who know little about the Bible oftentimes claim to know very much about how this verse should be lived out, right? People that may not know anything else about the Bible are somehow experts on how this verse should be lived out. And it's oftentimes misunderstood and misapplied. Our lost world claims this verse, oftentimes against Christian behavior, and it's because our culture is one where everyone claims it's right to do what he or she wants to do, right? Um, Think about this concept of judging not other people, And let's think about some of the things that are sometimes off limits when it comes to what our culture says we should or shouldn't be talking about in regards to each other. What are some things that that the world may cry foul or or throw a flag on about us potentially criticizing or judging this in somebody else's life? Anybody think of anything? 
lifestyle? What are things that the world would say, hey, you don't, you don't get to judge me for the choices and decisions I'm making about that? Abortion, right? And that, that, that could fall under the, the, the bigger umbrella of just how, how we use our bodies, right? What we do with our bodies. Um, other thoughts? What, what does the world criticize or say, hey, you don't, you don't have the right or the prerogative to talk about that? Divorce. All right, so when we think in terms of lifestyle and these things, right, right like our, our, um, our sexual activity, our, our sexual preference and orientation, uh, gender has become a hot topic lately, right? Whether you can tell me who or what I am and, and what I'm supposed to do in response to that. Issues related to our body, abortion, like these are all things that our world would say, hey, you don't get to tell me how to operate. Don't judge me, right? You mind your own business is kind of the response that we get. We read this, and, and maybe even as believers, we don't know what to do with it because Jesus is very clear that we're not to judge, right? With the judgment that we pronounce, we'll be judged. With the measure that we use, we'll be measured against us. And so we, we can come away from this passage saying, okay, it's clear, it's obvious that I'm not supposed to judge others. But what the world would have us to believe, what Satan would have us to believe, is that the opposite of Jesus' reference to not judging others would be a full-blown tolerance of the behavior of others, right? It's almost as though we're presented with only two options, either judge people or tolerate people, and there's no in-between, right? That's what the world would have us believe in. So they throw this verse at us and say, hey, you're coming at me, you're talking about my sin, your Bible tells you not to judge me, right? And, and then the further application, again, from people who don't know anything else about the Bible, would say the best application of this is that you tolerate anything and everything that I want to do. And we certainly know that's not what Jesus meant here, right? We can look no further than even like 1 Corinthians 5, where Jesus, where, where Paul, through the inspiration of Jesus, rebukes the church for tolerating a certain type of sexual behavior in the church, right? Like he says, look, you should have already addressed this. What is taking place isn't even accepted amongst the Gentiles. And yet you're tolerating it. You're okay with it. And so what we have to kind of work through, what we have to kind of think through is how can we address sin, even to the point of church discipline potentially? How do we address sin in light of what Jesus tells us here? How can we address sin and not be guilty of violating this passage, of not judging other people? And so I want to help you see that today. I want to, I want to walk through this passage and help us to hopefully walk away knowing what does healthy interaction look like with others, particularly others who are dealing with some type of sin in their life? Our summary sentence for today, Jesus calls us not to be judgmental, but does not command us to ignore sin in others. Instead, calling us to function like a surgeon rather than a judge who ensures personal health prior to helping others reach a healthy status too. Jesus calls us not to be judgmental, but does not command us to ignore sin in others, instead calling us to function like a surgeon rather than a judge who ensures personal health prior to helping others reach a healthy status too. For our kids, Christians are called to help others instead of judging others. Think about the difference in these two concepts, right? When we think about a judge, we think of one who identifies sin or wrong behavior in someone else, right? Brings a verdict against that, potentially condemnation against that, right? Some type of sentencing against that issue. 
Whereas a surgeon does something very similar in that he identifies an issue in the life of someone else, right? Identifies some type of evil, some type of uh, harm that is taking place, but works towards fixing it, right? Works towards fixing it. And the best surgeons are ones that are healthy themselves, right? We're certainly conscious and aware of of how uh, needful it is to have somebody healthy interacting with us right now. In the midst of this pandemic, right, like you see notices everywhere you go, if you're sick, don't come in here, right? Like we ain't interested in your business, right? Like a business will tell you, don't come in here if you're showing signs of COVID, right? Our teachers at Trinity, we tell them, don't come if you're showing signs of COVID. You can't help anybody appropriately if you're sick right now, right? So a surgeon, we need him to be healthy, right? But then he works towards making that patient, making that one who has come to see him healthy as well. And I believe that's the the mindset that Jesus has here, right? He wants us to steer us away from a judgmental mindset of simply identifying the wrong and, and declaring the wrong and condemning the wrong and instead steer us more towards the activity of what a surgeon would do. Right? Because the analogy that he uses, the, the log in your eye, the speck in your neighbor's eye, the end result is that both are removed. Right? The end goal is that you take your log out and you then take the speck out of your neighbor's eye too. Right? Not simply to identify the speck, not simply to declare the speck is there, but to actually go in and do surgery and fix it. Help bring healing to that situation. So Jesus calls us not to be judgmental, but there's nothing here that would lead us to say, oh, I'm not commanded to, to do anything in regards to sin. Instead, he's, he's telling us to act like a surgeon, <coughs> make sure we're personally healthy ourselves, and then help others reach a healthy status too. All right, so some things this passage is not saying. And again, the lost world would have us believe that it is saying this. It's not saying, don't worry about what others are doing and let them make decisions that are good and right for them. That's not what this passage is saying. It's not telling us to not worry about others and just let them do what they want to do. It's also not telling us to mind our own business and worry about ourselves only. And if we're not careful, we would read this and maybe walk away saying, okay, I'm not supposed to judge other people, so I'm going to let that family member or that friend or that coworker carry on. I'm just going to worry about me. I got plenty of stuff I need to worry about myself and the ways that I'm growing anyways, right? It's not telling us to do that. Right? It's not telling us to simply mind our own business and not worry about others. What this passage is saying is that judging others without examining and correcting yourself first is hypocritical. Let me say that again. Judging others without examining and correcting yourself first is hypocritical. Secondly, judging others <coughs> with the purpose of condemning them rather than helping them is unloving. Judging others with the purpose of condemning them versus helping them is unloving. Okay, so we're dealing with hypocrisy and an unloving spirit that Jesus is wanting to address, right? So he says, look, we don't want hypocrites. We don't want somebody who um, is is guilty of, of doing the same thing and then trying to point it out in somebody else, right? So not somebody who's simply examining um, or failing to examine themselves and only like hypersensitive to what, thank you, what's going on in the life of somebody else, right? 
That's hypocritical. But then it's also unloving, too, if we're simply not willing to go and help that person, right? If we're only wanting to condemn them. The Bible says we should be known for our love, not our judgment, right? We should be known for our love and not our judgment. But this passage, again, is not telling us to be completely absent-minded when it comes to helping someone deal with their sin. Last thing this passage is saying, right? <clears throat> judging others without examining correcting yourselves is hypocritical. Judging others with the purpose of condemning them rather than helping them is unloving. And then lastly, there is sin that desperately needs to be dealt with, both in us and by us, okay? There's sin that needs to be dealt with desperately. And that sin lives inside of us. It needs to be dealt with first. And then when it's been dealt with first in us, then we can go and help deal with it and be an instrument of grace that God uses to bring that sin out of somebody else. Okay, so let's look and see what this passage says in outline format. Number one, treat others the way you want to be treated by God. Treat others the way you want to be treated by God. It says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Treat others the way you want to be treated by God. So what's Jesus saying here? Number one, he's saying we we want to avoid a judgmental spirit that seeks to condemn others in order to justify ourselves. See, Jesus, again, is tying in this passage with everything that we've already seen in Matthew 5 and 6, right? He's been addressing this self-righteous spirit this self-righteous attitude that was living amongst the Pharisees who were then passing this along to the people, right? That this was, this was what holiness looks like. This is what righteousness looks like. Very external, very absent-minded when it came to the internal, right? That's why Jesus has to redirect the people to understanding what does it look like to not murder? What does it look like to not commit adultery? Not just outwardly, but inwardly as well. We're to avoid a judgmental spirit that seeks to condemn others in order to justify ourselves because the Pharisees were using these standards to ultimately make themselves feel better about their own actions, to affirm their own perspective about their righteousness. Self-righteousness is prone to compare for validation. So here's where we have to kind of put ourselves in this verse and see how does this apply to us. In an effort to be holy, It is tempting to compare ourselves to others as the measuring stick for what we want to be and not be. I mean, Jesus is laying out a really difficult standard of righteousness, right? It's far easier for us to step away from the Sermon on the Mount expectations and to simply compare ourselves to the people we spend our weeks with, right? To to, to validate our righteousness, to validate our holiness, to validate our spiritual growth, based on all the flaws that we can see in everybody else, right? And to pass judgment on those people, even if we don't verbalize it to them, but to simply pass judgment on people, to be critical, to to sit and scroll through our news feeds on our social media sites and see what everybody else is up to, and then to pass judgment on everything that we can see, assuming that we know everything that's really going on, right? And to pass judgment and to dismiss people and to say that they're not growing spiritually or they're doing this or they're doing that and they're in sin, And to walk away from it going, 
Much like the Pharisee who says, God, thank you that I'm not the tax collector. Right? To walk away saying, God, thank you that I'm not what I see on my social media site. Thank you that I'm way different than that. Right? Jesus says, don't have a judgmental spirit. Certainly don't use others' lives as a measuring stick, right? As a comparison to validate yourself. We're to avoid that judgmental spirit. But then number two, we should expect God to treat us like we choose to treat others. It says to be careful with the measuring stick you use to judge other people, realizing that that can be returned to you, right? For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Now, this isn't the only time that we see in Scripture. It's not the only time we see in this sermon, right? God's saying that how we treat others is a reflection of how we will be treated. Think about what he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, right? It's the merciful who are a reflection of people who will actually receive God's mercy, right? Again, we talked about this, not that we earn God's mercy by being merciful to other people, right? But what we are saying is that people who are going to receive God's mercy— People who have already received God's mercy are merciful people, right? They extend the mercy that they've experienced themselves. Matthew chapter 6, verses 12, 14, and 15 talks about the forgiveness that we extend, right? In the Lord's Prayer, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those that are indebted to us, right? Forgive us as we are seeking to forgive others, right? And then in um, verses 14 and 15. If you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Again, that passage is teaching us if we've really experienced God's grace, we are going to extend it to others. Jesus shares the parable of the unforgiving servant, right? That this is, this is flawed thinking for you to be forgiven of a great debt and then turn around and demand somebody else to pay you back when you've experienced such great mercy, it contradicts itself. Listen to this quote from Sinclair Ferguson, who's a pastor and author. It says, The heart that has tasted the Lord's grace and forgiveness will always be restrained in its judgment of others. Let me say that again. The heart that has tasted the Lord's grace and forgiveness will always be restrained in its judgment of others. Jesus cautions the people and says, judge not that you be not judged because the measuring stick that you're using can be applied to you as well. You may not want that. Treat others the way that you want to be treated by God. Treat others the way that you've experienced God, right? Treat others the way that you've already experienced God's grace and mercy and forgiveness in your life. Being transferred from darkness to light, being rescued from the pit, and brought into a state where you now hope for this eternal life that we sang about this morning. Treat others the way that you've experienced God, the ways that you want to continue to experience God. Number two, have the same expectations for yourself that you have for others. Have the same expectations for yourself that you have for others. And and the caveat there is that those would be rooted in God's word, right? That our expectations for what it looks like to follow Christ would be rooted in Scripture and the expectations that we want to apply to other people, that we would first apply those same expectations to ourselves, 
right? Use that same measuring stick against yourself that you're wanting to use against others. We're tempted to apply a standard we don't want to apply to ourselves, right? We're tempted to hold people to a higher standard sometimes than we're willing to hold ourselves to. And why is that? Well, oftentimes we don't give people the benefit of the doubt, right? We'll judge their motives. We'll judge their intentions, even though we can't see that. And then we'll try to excuse our own actions because we believe that we know our intentions and we believe we know our motives, right? And so we're tempted to to hold people to a higher expectation than we're willing to hold ourselves to. We see this in two ways that Jesus points out. Number one, we see it in the element of pride. We see it in the element of pride here. And Jesus helps us, because I don't know that uh, any of the people that were guilty of judging here in this passage would have classified what they saw in the lives of others as a speck, right? What I think they would have said is, I see a log in that person's eye, right? So Jesus does us the favor here and helps us see kind of the, the urgency that we should have in regards to sin, that we should see our own sin in a far more maximized way than we would see the sin of others, right? So we should maximize the sin we see in ourselves and minimize the sin we see in others, but we're prone to do the opposite, right? We're prone to think that our sins aren't that serious, but woo, look at the sins of other people. Look how serious that stuff is and how quickly that needs to be dealt with, right? But Jesus helps us here, right? He says um, he calls the sin in our life the log and he calls the sin in the other life the speck. We're often tempted to view our logs as specks and other people's specks as logs. We often interpret our faults in the best possible light and everyone else's in the worst light possible. And that's what Jesus is wanting us to avoid, right? He's wanting us to avoid this judgmental spirit that would think the worst of others, condemn others, and, and do all of that to make ourselves feel better and to minimize the sin in our own life, right? To encourage ourselves by being very meticulous in seeing the sin in the life of other people. It's pride, it's spiritual pride that Jesus is trying to address in this sermon. Then number two, we see the hypocrisy. We cannot allow ourselves to be content with the sin in our life and outraged by the sin in others. Jesus is addressing people who would be willing to ignore their own sin in order to try to do surgery on the sin of somebody else, right? To not first take care of themselves and deal with their own sin so that they can then properly see and evaluate and help someone else. Instead, this person is wanting to jump straight to fixing somebody else's problem. And Jesus identifies the hypocrisy in that. We can't be more sensitive to the sin in the lives of others than we are to the sin in our own life. We need to give ourselves the same meticulous treatment we want to give others when it comes to finding sin and judging it wrong. I was convicted of this. I can't remember if it was last, I don't know, it's like a daily occurrence where I have to address the, um, the messiness of my kids, right? Lauren and I are constantly having to tell our kids to clean up, put their stuff away, right? And so pick any day last week, right? Just one of those days I happened to see the log in my own eye, right? So I'm, I'm harping on my kids, like, clean your stuff, put your stuff up, what are you doing, right? Like, get in there and, and make it right. Like, you're not playing with this stuff, you're not using this stuff, Right? And so, like, I'm just kind of exhausted from doing that, 
right? And so I've kind of turned them loose. Hey, you've got this amount of time. If you don't get it done, you're going to have this taken away, this taken away, da 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 right? And then I go in my room, and I'm like, I think I'd like to take a nap right now while they do that, right? And then I start looking around at my room, and I'm like, oh, crud. I got clothes that I'm not wearing right now. I got stuff that's all out. And, and, I, and I was convicted about it because it was like, I can't hold my kids to a standard with their room that I'm not willing to hold myself to in regards to my side of the room, right? And so I turned them loose, and then rather than laying down and taking a nap, I started folding my laundry, folding my clothes, right, putting my stuff up. Because while it looked organized to me, right, like it, it was, no, it's not put up, but I know exactly where everything is right now. Like I know what's on the chair. I know what's on the table. Like I know where it all is. It's the same kind of stuff AJ and Abram tell me, right? Like this stuff's a mess. Like it's all out of place. And Abram's like, I know exactly where all of my stuff is, right? It's, it's right where I want it to be, Right? We can't be outraged by other people's choices and decisions if we're not going to experience the same outrage about our own self, right? Like we can't look at sin in somebody else's life and think, man, that's got to be dealt with. That needs to be fixed. And I'm the one to condemn it for that person if we're not willing to look at our own selves and see where we are missing the mark. We have to have the same expectations for ourselves that we have for others, and it needs to be rooted in God's word, Right? And then number three, we work to remove the sin in ourselves and in others, right? It's not enough to just see it, but we have to work to remove it first in ourselves and then in others. So Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? When there is the log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. All right, so the first uh, imperative here is to get your eye right first. The issue is that we must deal with ourselves first before we can help others rightly. A healthy surgeon will be far better received than a self-righteous judge. A healthy surgeon is going to be far better received than a self-righteous judge. The healthy surgeon makes sure that he's healthy before he starts trying to help others. The healthy surgeon today, now, has to go through whatever procedure his hospital has for making sure that he's healthy before he comes and tries to take care of the patients that are there. Whether it's temp checks, whether it's some type of health assessment, whether it's Um, you know, some type of questionnaire they're filling out. Like, everybody's got their own policies and procedures right now, right? But the goal is that when you see a surgeon, if you're at the hospital right now, you see a doctor, right? You know he's not a threat to you. He's not bringing COVID to you. He's there to help you with whatever it is you're dealing with, right? Healthy surgeon is going to be far better received than a self-righteous judge. Jesus says, look, drop the judgmental spirit. Drop the, the mindset of trying to condemn others to make yourself feel more righteous. Instead, Turn all that meticulous attention to yourself. Clean out the sin that's in your own life so that you can then go into the life of someone else and help fix it and help draw it out and help bring them to a healthy status too. Get your eye right first. Now, here's where we would be completely wrong is to hear this passage that says, don't judge. You've got logs in your own eyes. Quit worrying about the specks in somebody else's until you worry about yours. We would be wrong, okay, not okay to say I'm not going to judge somebody because I know I have sin too 
and then not do anything about your own sin. Right? This too would be a tempting thing that Satan in this world would have us to believe is that I can't speak to you about your sin because I have sin in my life. Right? So we've, we've dropped the judgmental spirit. We've turned our attention to ourselves, and we're like, oh man, I do have a lot to do. And then not do anything about it. Right? Hey, I'll stop judging you. You don't judge me, and we'll be good. Right? We'll just both keep doing what we want to do. Right? What Jesus is after here is that we would turn the attention, not just away from somebody and drop it. Right? He's not saying, hey, just don't worry about sin. He's saying, no, turn that attention to yourself first so that you can then go back into that situation and see clearly about how to help fix it. Get your, right, your eye right first. It would be wrong to minimize the sin in another's life in order to minimize it in your own too. Right? It would be wrong to say, I'm not going to judge you for your sin, but I'm also not going to judge myself for my sin. Right? Jesus is saying, judge your sin, fix it, confess it, repent of it, turn from it, then you can rightly see how to help somebody else. Number two, get others' eyes right next. Get others' eyes right next. So Jesus is actually advocating that we would address sin in the lives of others. Right? So he tells us not to be judgmental because what they were guilty of is that they were pinpointing sin in the lives of others, condemning it for self-righteous means, not with the intent of helping somebody, but instead trying to make themselves look good. He says, I want you to turn, turn that attention to yourself, fix yourself, humble yourself, then you can come back to that situation and address it properly. Jesus affirms the rightness of humbly and graciously correcting a brother in sin. It's right and proper to do so. And one of the purposes of our self-judgment is so that we can serve others. We are obligated to help each other grow in grace, right? We have a biblical mandate to help each other fight sin. We have a biblical mandate to address sin in others when they don't see it. But we can't carry out that command until we carry out the first command, which is to get sin right in our own life so that we can then see that sin in somebody else's life properly. Right? So we've got to get to the point where we can address sin in the lives of others and help encourage them and act like a surgeon to help bring them to repentance. But before we can do that, we've got to prepare ourselves. We have to get right ourselves. If a Christian's attitude is right, Provision is made to address sin in others. It's commended and commanded, right? Matthew chapter 18 is the, the church discipline principle about how you go and address sin in the life of somebody else that you see, right? So we know there's harmony with Matthew 18 and Matthew chapter 7, right? Jesus is saying, judge not, but then he's also saying in Matthew 18, when you see an offense in your brother, you got to go to him. And if he doesn't listen to you, you go with somebody else. Right? And then you keep bringing people from the church to try to get this guy to repent. When your heart's right, when your attitude's right, when you're in giving attention to your own self, then you have provision to go get somebody and to address sin in their life. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And you see a lot of need to give attention to yourself personally in that passage as you're trying to carry out that work, right? Now, what does it mean to 
to actually get the log removed, right? Like how removed, how, how much do I have to address sin in my life before I'm then permitted or qualified or capable of addressing sin in others? Well, Jesus doesn't clarify that, right? I would say that we certainly aren't supposed to be so holy and so sinless that sin has been eradicated from our life before I ever sit down and have a conversation with you about what's going on in yours, right? Like that's, that, 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 that state will never be achieved until Jesus comes back. Nor is it necessarily that I cannot address something in your life if I've completely removed any and every uh, consent on my part to it. What I do believe is that somebody will hear you as a non-judgmental surgeon who's there to help versus harm if they're fully aware that in humility you are actively working on sin and they see evidence of that. Right? They, see, they see evidence of the fact that you're not coming proclaiming that you're free from this or that you've completely eradicated sin in your life or that you have nothing that you're working on in yours. Right? But to even preface uh, some of the conversation that you're having with somebody who you're trying to encourage and, 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 and potentially even gently rebuke, to be able to say, here's what I'm dealing with myself personally, and here's some of the steps that I'm taking to fight against that sin in my own life. Right? The idea here is that you're not oblivious to the log in your own eye, that you're working to address that, you're working to fix that, so that you can then properly see how to help somebody else. I'm going to give you some, some quick steps uh, to, to kind of write down in knowing how do, I, how do I help somebody with the speck in their eye? How do I help somebody with the speck in their eye? One, you know, first of all, I'd say you have to give great care to it, like you're, like you're going to remove a splinter from your child, right? Like, you want to talk about horror is when my kid comes to me, horror on their part, not on mine, horror on their part when they have to come to me and admit they have a splinter, right? It's like AJ and Abram's like worst nightmare, right? Like, the, like they're, they're crying and weeping before they even get to me, and then I have to like work through the tears as to what we're even upset about, and there's a splinter, right? And they know what that means. They know dad's got to get out these little needles and these little scissors and these little Q-tips, or not Q-tips, the little uh, tweezers, and we're going to have to do some operation to get this thing out, Right? And, and they think that I'm there to cut their finger off, right? And, and, and you know, they're, they're stressed about it. And, and I show less care than Lauren. Like, they, they really like to go to Lauren for it because Lauren will give even far more. I'm, I'm thinking about the next thing I got to do. Like, let's get this thing out and let's move on, right? Um, but I make sure that the lighting's right, right? I, I give care and attention to it to remove that thing, right? And the same would need to be true if we're trying to help a brother or sister in Christ with something that they're dealing with, right? Number one would be don't react too quickly. Proverbs eighteen thirteen says, don't give an answer before you hear, right? It's folly and shame. So, so don't assume you have all the facts. Don't assume you know exactly what's going on. Don't overreact to something without first exploring the details and making sure that you have a good, accurate picture of what's happening. Number two would be to evaluate your motives. Proverbs sixteen two says, man's ways are pure to himself, but the Lord weighs the spirit, don't just assume that your motives are right. Examine yourself and make sure that your motive is not to make yourself feel better or to build up your own righteousness or holiness, but to help someone else. Number three, seek wisdom. Proverbs fifteen twenty two says, plans fail without counsel, but it teaches us they are more prone to exceed when we have advisors, right? Seek the help of others when it comes to how do I talk to this person about something that I'm seeing in their life? Don't make non-sin issues into sin issues, right? Write this verse down, Romans, or just whole chapter, Romans chapter 14. 
But Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, verses 13 through 23, that whole chapter really, it talks about how we have to be real careful that we don't judge others for things that aren't explicitly stated in Scripture, right? Like, don't judge others for non-sin issues just because they're doing it differently than you. And we've talked about that recently, right? How we can't place standards for how we're trying to live out some of these things on other people and judge them for not doing it the way we're doing it, right? We're going to educate our kids differently. We're going to allow our kids to do and not do things differently, all in the same name and with the same heart of wanting our kids to glorify Christ with their life when they leave our care. That's going to look differently because our kids are different. Their personalities are different. The structures of our home are different. We can't put standards of what we're doing in our home upon somebody else's home, right? If we can trust that that person wants the same thing that we want, and that's for their, their kid to glorify Christ. Don't make non-sin issues into sin issues. And then number five, speak truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Those are just some quick steps that you can have to, to kind of work through to make sure that you're not in violation of being a judgmental individual, right? Instead, you're being that surgeon who wants to help care for someone else. All right, and then we'll close with number four. Move along if someone is hostile towards your help. And this is a weird passage because it seems contrary to what we might be prone to think as a follower of Christ. But look what he says in verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What's he saying here? Well, he's saying it in the context of helping somebody dealing with their sin, right? And he tells you not to, not to get to the point where you're, you're continuing to cast good things at things that are going to abuse the good things, right? Don't continue to give these things to someone who doesn't see the, the, the preciousness of it. All right, so number one, we're not to prejudge how someone will react to truth, but we can react to their reaction. Jesus is permitting us to react to how somebody fails to really react to us. We can react to somebody's reaction, not prejudge them. We don't determine... That person's a dog and a pig. I'm not going to even talk to them about what's going on in their life, or I'm not going to even try to share the gospel with them, right? But once you get into that situation, and that person is um, essentially tearing God's truth apart like a dog or trampling it like a pig, turning to attack you, Jesus would say it, it may be time to move on because we're not obligated to keep sharing with those who would tear up or trample God's truth. And this isn't the only passage we see this in where Jesus says to move along. Matthew chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Uh, Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, verse 5 and 6. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own hands. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. 
As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Even if you go to the passage in Matthew 18, what does it say? Like, you go to that individual, you bring two or three with you, tell it to the church, then what? You put that person out, right? That we don't have to continually go to somebody and allow them to tear and trample God's truth if they've chosen to reject it. Now, we don't prejudge it, right? We don't prejudge and determine who the dogs and the pigs are because there's been plenty of people who have come to Christ who maybe in our own perceptions, that person would never come to Christ, right? But there comes a point where that person is acting like a dog or a pig towards God's truth. And we're to, to remove ourselves. And I, and I wonder, like I don't have anything here in this passage saying this, but I wonder if this doesn't help protect us from being viewed as a judgmental individual if we know when to back out of that situation, right? Like, I just wonder if, if Jesus is putting this here. Don't be a judgmental person. Don't allow somebody to think you have a judgmental spirit. If we've presented the truth, it's, it's not being received. It's being rejected. If we're able to just kind of back off and say, okay, like Paul, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to move on. I'm going to go to the Gentiles now. Or, or like he tells Titus, like, you've warned that person. You've, you've, you've tried with that person. Now remove yourself from that person, right? He says, move along if someone is hostile, towards your help. Let me give you quick three, three points to remember and then application. Key points to remember from this section. Number one, remember the measuring scale and don't forget to look for your own logs. Right? The measuring scale that you're going to use against somebody else is what's going to be used against you. So remember the measuring scale and don't forget to look for your own logs. Be merciful don't be a hypocrite. Treat others the way you want to be treated by God, the ways that you've already experienced God. Don't be the judgmental hypocrite. Instead, act like the surgeon who's there to help bring someone to a healthy status. Number two, Pharisees judge others to make themselves look good, while Christians judge themselves so they can help others look good. That could have been our summary sentence, too, right? Pharisees judge others to make themselves look good, right? Like, I'm going to see the speck in you, and I'm going to highlight it and draw attention to it to make myself look good, to make myself feel better, to make myself feel righteous, right? Christians judge themselves, deal with the sin in their own life, not just to clean themselves up. They do it so that they can then go and help others, right? They go to help others remove the speck from their eye as well. Number three, it's unloving to judge your neighbor with a log in your eye. It's also unloving to leave a speck in your neighbor's eye too, though. All right, so it's, it's unloving to judge your neighbor with a log in your eye. Right? It's hypocritical. It's unloving to, to pinpoint somebody else's sin when you've got that own sin in your own life or, um, or even, potentially even worse going on in your own life, right? It's also unloving, though, to leave a speck in your neighbor's eye which means we need to be motivated to evaluate and, and, and deal with sin in our own life so that we don't leave the speck in that person's eye, so that we can go and help them attack it, all right? So then our application today, two questions. What's the log in your own life that needs attention this week? And, 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 and they're there. We may not see it clearly right now, but we need to do some self-evaluation and figure out what are the logs that are in my eye that need attention this week? What are the things that I need to be working on and dealing with, fighting against? 
Number two, what's the speck in someone's else in someone else's life that needs your attention soon? We we want an we want a culture and environment here at at um, Sovereign Hope through our C groups and our D groups, where we can come and gather with other men, other women, fight sin together, but even be humble enough to help someone else see their sin humble enough to receive somebody else helping me see sin that I don't see in myself, right? We want a culture like that because that's the culture of the New Testament that I see Jesus teaching and preaching and then Paul and others carrying out as they plant churches that we would fight sin together. Sometimes we need to know that we've got, you know, something on our face, right? Sometimes we need to know that we've got some mustard on our face because we're eating a hot dog and it's messy, somebody to draw attention to it because we don't see it, right? We don't have a mirror. We don't have, we don't have awareness about it. We can see a lot of what we need to see, though, by going to the mirror that James talks about, right? Open the mirror up, see the stuff that needs to be fixed, work on it, fight it, see the log, right? It'll then help you go and help somebody else. But there may be cases where we don't even see sometimes the things that we need to see, and somebody needs to come and help us see that and draw that out. We need to be ready to hear that especially if that person comes with the attitude of a surgeon and not a judgmental judge, all right? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this passage. It's a difficult passage for us to understand because it's a passage that creates a lot of emotion, particularly in the lost world, who doesn't like to have sin addressed in their life. And God, we, we, we want to be faithful to carry this out. We don't want to be known as judgmental people who condemn others, particularly for the purpose of making ourselves feel good and righteous. God, help us to be aware of the, of the, of the sin that's in our own life. God, help us to be sensitive to the Spirit's prompting and leading and conviction in our own life. God, help us to strive for righteousness, not by comparing ourselves to what other people are doing, but by evaluating what it is we are doing in relationship to what your word has to say. God, help us to fight for purity and holiness in our own life. And God, as we're faithful to carry that out, give us the love for others to go and help them when they don't see the speck in their own eye. God, what we see in this passage is that there's a twofold responsibility. One, to deal with sin in our life, and then two, to help others deal with it in theirs when they're not seeing it. God, help us to see that all of this is, is for the sake of the gospel. God, we want to be a people group that make it abundantly clear to a lost world what it looks like to have Jesus' life, death, and resurrection applied to us. We want to be new creatures. We want to be people who, in a, in a culture that's prone to judge, are the farthest thing from that. In a culture that's prone to be selfish, God, we want to be a, a people group that is known for their love and service to each other. God, help us to, to be able to see the pride and the hypocrisy in our own life. God, help us to deal with it so that the world sees a, a group of people who are humble and a group that desires to be helpful. God, we want to call the sin out. We want to, we want to see it for what it is. God, it's not our job to condemn it. It's our job to, to help people repent from it and to grow from it. So God, help us to be seen as that. Help us to embrace the mindset of a surgeon versus a judge. 
God, help us to see your standard of holiness in your word, to measure ourselves against that. And God, help us to rejoice on a daily basis that it's Christ's righteousness that makes us acceptable for you and not our own good works. We praise you and thank you for that. And God, as we leave today, help us to leave with a willingness to give attention to the log that's in our own eye for the sake of being able to help the brother and sister in our life who has the speck in theirs. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.